special music today, something new. Always good to be including more people. Just to mention that with uh, Gerald, he loves if you've got musical talent, which I don't. He'd love to talk to you as we work more and more people into, uh, into worship and, and service in our church. If you would please turn to Luke chapter 8, or return, I guess you could say. We've been here a while. I ended up, uh, Friday, I went back to the same dentist where they had to re-aggravate the location to do a bone graft. I'm having an implant done. So uh, it's right in my chewing side, and that's why I missed the, the week before. Anyhow, uh, the lady was walking me out and giving me all kinds of warnings about the Internet. And of course, my wife being a dental hygienist, she's, she's heard all the folklore and everything out there, but she said, be very, very careful of the Internet. She said, you're going to Google this implant stuff, and immediately there's going to be stuff coming up like your head's going to explode and everything like that. Uh, just all kinds of false information. I turned to her, I said, yeah, I said, it's the same way with theology. All kinds of false stuff being spread around out there. So you got to be careful with that as well. So good to remember, good reminder. Um, we are in Luke chapter 8. We come upon a pretty long passage today, uh, verses 40 through 56. The 12 disciples are now with Jesus and uh, have sat together under his teaching together for a while, for some time. In this chapter, they have witnessed his power over the natural realm. There were the winds and the seas that obeyed him. They have seen his authority over the spiritual realm, that is, uh, Satan and his demons. And once here again, uh, his control over the physical realm, disease, and we'll see even death. So when Jesus begins dispatching them, the disciples, to preach in the next chapter, in the next two chapters actually, uh, both the disciples and the reader of Luke will recognize the authority and the, and the power that, that they exercise as delegates of Christ doesn't arise from within them. It, it all comes from Jesus. We don't want to make that same mistake you know, boasting in ourselves, in our own abilities, what we can achieve or what we can do. And uh, we see on television today many televangelists and others uh, who claim to possess power over the weather, over spirits, over disease, even death. There's one in particular told his audience that he had had visions of people in foreign lands who were watching him on TV and they were laying the hands of their their deceased loved ones on the television, and they were being raised back to life. Uh, I don't know who watches TBN with their dead relatives sitting next to them and then takes their hands and put them on the TV. I don't know who does that or what, in what country they do that. We know, fortunately, that raising of the dead was a sign that the Messiah had come upon Israel. When John the Baptist sent a delegation of his own to confirm that Christ was the one, that Jesus was truly uh, the one they had been waiting for, Jesus' response to them included, tell John that even the dead are raised. It's not something that we do, nor anyone else today does. Actually, with the, with the close of the canon now, we, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is allotted for man to die once, and then judgment, Right? Now with the canon closed, we aren't doing this anymore. Raising the dead has quite a different application for us Christians today. 
We'll talk about that more in the second half of this message next week. But today I'm going to begin reading from verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. This is after he returns now from from, uh, the demoniac. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one that touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before Jesus and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And he came to the house He did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and Jesus gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. The word of the Lord. So Luke now redirects our attention away from this cured demoniac in the previous chapter to two females who in some ways couldn't be more different, but in other ways couldn't be more alike. They're different in the fact that one woman is clearly an adult, while the other is a blossoming adolescent. The older, we are told, is suffering a bleeding hemorrhage, while we're given no diagnosis for the young girl and her life-threatening condition. We don't know with her. The older comes to Jesus on her own, while with the girl, the father intercedes. The younger has been experiencing the carrying hands of her father for 12 years, while the older... Mark 5, verse 25 tells us, has been enduring the abusive hands of physicians for that same period of time. And while the girl has enjoyed years of her family's affirmation, the older has endured social isolation due to her perpetual state of being ceremonially ceremonially unclean. I honestly don't know which to be feeling more sorry for, to be very honest. The, The young girl who is dying... Or the condition in which the older woman is living. Isolated, unclean, separated from people for 12 years. With so many differences, you might then ask, well, how would they be alike? 
Well, first, as I above mentioned, they're, they're obviously both female. This continues a theme by Luke uh, that we've already seen uh, that elevates and, and repeatedly draws attention to women. Secondly, the identical period of time, 12 years, invites the reader, that's us, to ask over this period of time, what, what has their lives, what have their lives been like? Give consideration to the experience of each of these two over the previous 12 years. Or 12, yeah, 12 years. Third, in both situations, their conditions are completely out of the hands of themselves or man to fix it. Neither one can do anything about it. Man can do nothing about either one. And fourth, Jesus becomes the common denominator then by which both of these conditions are remedied. I plan on only briefly mentioning the young girl today. Uh, We'll look at her more closely next week. Verse 41 tells us that her father, named Jairus, Jairus, he was an official of the synagogue. Well, coincidentally, if you were with us previously, this would have been the same synagogue in Capernaum, mentioned so many times already by Luke. A ruler of the synagogue would have been responsible for arranging services and speakers. He would have also made uh, certain that the scrolls, uh, the scriptures that contained Moses and the prophets and, and, and the synagogue, all these things were maintained properly and cared for. So Jairus here, he's a pretty religious guy, all right? He, he's, he's in the know with the religious stuff. He would have surely been friends with the centurion back in chapter 7, who built this synagogue. Remember him? Jairus was probably one of the Jewish elders who that centurion dispatched to solicit Jesus uh, when he called him on behalf of of, uh, his cherished slave that was dying. You remember? That group told Jesus back in chapter 7, verse 4, that the centurion, that is, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. Uh, The elders are saying, for he loves our nation And it was he who built us our synagogue. So he was well known in the small town of Capernaum, that that centurion. And you probably recall the reaction of that centurion back uh, in chapter 7 as he sent a second delegation to Jesus. This time it was just friends. And he was correcting the assumptions of those Jewish elders, insisting, no, I am not worthy. In fact, I'm not even worthy for Jesus to come into my house, right? But you just say the word, Jesus was told, and my servant will be healed. Then Jesus, after hearing that, told that entire crowd, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when they returned to that centurion's house, they found that slave in good health. So it appears. It appears that Jairus... By watching the faith at work through that centurion, it seems by watching that that Jairus made the determination that Jesus could also heal his daughter. If he could heal a centurion's servant, you know, consider how common it is uh, for us when God uses a crisis in our lives to draw our friends and our loved ones to Jesus. 
And often when, it's, when there's nothing more that a person feels they can do, it's, it's now completely out of their hands. At that point, they're going to look at what they've seen working through you. What have they seen working through you? This, this is very important for us as Christians. As people of faith, the way that we respond to crises when they come up in our life, so will they respond who know us quite often. The centurion provided a pattern of faith during a crisis for Jairus. And Jairus reasons to himself, well, I've seen how faith worked through him, and I have nowhere else to turn right now than to this same man that he turned to, Jesus Christ. You remember that, folks. As Christian parents, especially, or alongside a worker or in front of our neighbors, whoever it may be, how we respond, you and I, how we respond and where we turn during a crisis is going to lay a pattern for how our children and our friends and our loved ones respond during their crisis. If we would turn to a liquor cabinet, they'll likely learn to turn to a liquor cabinet. If it's anger, they will likely be trained to become or respond angrily. If they hear you contemplating harm to self, they might consider that. If it's pop psychology or legal or illegal drugs, they will often consider trying those as well. But if they see you trusting in Christ... During your emergency, during your crisis in life that that will come, there's a high likelihood God will use your faith through that circumstance to prompt them to seek, seek Jesus when they encounter their own inevitable crisis. Because theirs will come. It will come. Disaster will come. And if you and I don't compellingly seek Christ... Wouldn't it be nonsensical to think that those who are watching us would? Why would they seek Christ if our family sees it it doesn't work? It doesn't work for us. How would it work for them? The power of your witness in such a case would be truly dead. And at least in part, maybe not completely, but at least in part, the faith displayed by that centurion compels Jairus to come forward and now fall at the feet of Jesus in his time of need. Faith without works, folks, is truly a dead faith. It's a dead faith. Apparently, the older woman in our story, in verse 43, she also heard from somebody that Jesus is the place to turn. And she, at the exact same time, attempts to reach Jesus as Jairus does, but hers is a completely different scenario completely different from Jairus. She's not a religious official. She, she's not respected. She's not seen as religious. She's notorious instead for being perpetually unclean. She's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And we learned from our scripture reading earlier in Leviticus 15 that her condition made her ceremonially impure. Impure to the point where anything she sat on, anybody who touched anything she sat on, people who had interactions with her physically, 
they would also become unclean under the law. And for 12 years, she's been, been suffering this humiliating condition. Everybody knew. All the physicians had been trying to remedy her situation. They're all aware. The Gospel of Mark says that she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Everybody knew. And said, Mark also includes that she spent all of that she had attempting to become clean, so she'd spent all of her resources. And not only did the physicians take all her money without helping, we are told they even made her condition worse. Not a whole lot has changed with doctors over the last 2,000 years, has it? I don't mean that. I'm just kidding. I, I like doctors, especially dentists. They're very helpful. The only thing is they don't come, you know, like Doc Baker, they don't come and do a home visit in exchange for chickens anymore. Some of you out there know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This woman was hopeless. There was no one that could help her, no doctors. But now she's heard about Jesus, and all that is about to change. Mark 5 verse 27 tells us, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. You ever thought yourself, to yourself, why did she think that? Was it, was it merely from hearing others? Maybe, maybe. But, but perhaps she also watched Maybe she watched and listened from beyond the crowds for a while. Maybe she was there listening from a distance when Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount. You know, he did that just, just a, a short walk outside of Capernaum. That's where the Sermon on the Mount was given, near the same location. Um, maybe she crossed paths with that sexually immoral woman, the one that we studied previously who, who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Maybe she ran into her. Maybe that woman uh, gave testimony to Christ. We don't know. We don't know, but she heard from somebody. People were talking about Jesus. But notice this fact. For a person who had been spiritually isolated and treated as unclean for 12 years now, the point of access that she chooses to reach out to Christ is in a crowd. A crowd that's pressing against Jesus. Literally, that Greek word uh, means that they were choking Jesus, is what it's saying in, in verse 43. The crowd was choking Jesus. That's, that's how tight it was pressing against him. But the woman, she wasn't permitted to touch for fear of making others unclean. She decides, though, you know, if I can just sneak in there, if I can just sneak in, She says, if I can just touch his garments, I will get well. That's what she's determined. You ever ask yourself as well, why just the fringe of his garment? Why why is she just wanting to touch that? You you know, I I think it could be because she's she's been conditioned to just living alone and isolated and, and kind of desperate, ashamed, certainly ashamed. You know, she really couldn't touch And other people couldn't come to her home and touch where she sat or where she laid without also be contaminated by her impurity. 
She might have rationalized to herself, you know, if I, if I just don't touch his skin, or if I don't reach out to his hand, if, if I don't touch him, if I, if I don't try to embrace him, maybe my uncleanness, uh, cleanliness, maybe it won't transfer to him. Maybe I won't make him unclean. Maybe it'll be okay if I just touch the fringe of the cloak. Then, you know, I could just slip away out of this crowd, this busy crowd. You know, the large pressing crowd, it provides her a woman who is ashamed and unclean. It provides her an anonymity uh, to, to approach Christ. You know, she figures that there's so many people and they're not paying attention to me. No one's going to notice me. I wouldn't even doubt she maybe pulled her covering up over her head, her head covering, and kind of went in, you know, ducked in where nobody would notice, kind of clandestine, concealing her true identity. I don't want to be misunderstood on this, but you know, for the most part, I think it's true. People are attracted to a crowd. There's an appeal to a crowd. People aren't allured really to to small numbers of people. People who are unclean fear standing out, folks. Many of us remember that. It's fear standing out in a small crowd because they're ashamed of their unclean past. They might be anxious. They fear, you know, if the people here really know who I am, they wouldn't want to touch me. That church might just become another place that I'm afflicted if everybody knew about me. Most people don't like standing out. I don't like standing out. A vibrant crowd and jubilant adoration of Christ and worship of Jesus, singing song, uh, adoring Him, is simply just more attractive to an outsider. It really is. In an empty room, you know, you walk into a, a place that's just empty and there's 20 faces and they're all staring at you. You ever, ever visited one of those places? I have. A crowd provides anonymity. It allows people to slip in, slip out, listen, hear what Jesus can do for them without really requiring them to lay out their whole life story the first time that they visit. So if a new person slips in before, ducks out immediately after service, yeah, I don't take that as a bad sign personally. I don't. People are just feeling things out. When there's a crowd, you got a little room to do that. Some, some people are just waiting for the right place and time to reach through the crowd and touch Jesus. That's all they're doing. I think we're a pretty joyful church myself. We like a good laugh. Uh, pretty jubilant, I think. You know, when I, I invite people to this church, I'll often tell them, you know, we're a big enough church where you're not going to stand out and we're not going to pin you in a corner. We're not so big that you get lost. You know, you, we can welcome you. We love to welcome people. And you can listen and, and you can hear about Christ and what He can do for you. And you can leave afterwards. That's just fine. But we want to tell you here, and I think I speak for all of us here, when you're ready, when you're finally ready to trust that Christ has the power to heal, that He can cleanse you and heal your impurity, when you come to that point where you're ready to reach through the crowd and touch Him, you don't have to cover yourself and hide here. I don't personally care where you spent your last 12 years. It might have been on drugs. It may have been in prison. could have been in sexual perversion. 
uh, one form or another, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we as a church want you to know is that when you have listened and watched long enough, when you've been convinced that Christ can cleanse you from your sinful past, when you're ready to risk reaching through into the crowd, we want you to know He will make you clean. He will make you clean. And we will be your friends. Hebrews 10 verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let every one of us here reach through the crowd, that pressing crowd, and touch Christ. Together, we are cleansed. In verse 44, uh, this woman came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Drawn near in faith, she was immediately cleansed. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. Peter said, The people are pressing in on you. That's a different word for pressing. It actually means to crush. So lots of people are pressing on Jesus. He's asking, Who touched me? But only one, only to one did power from Jesus go out to heal. All these people touching. All these people with bad teeth. Probably a broken or sprained ankle here and there, other things. Only she was touched. Only she was healed. Now this is where we got to get a little bit careful here. Let's just take a minute. This is where the false teachers, faith healers or fake healers, whatever you want to call them, They say that she is the only one who had faith and that's the reason that God healed her. As if faith is something that arises out from ourselves, from within the individual. There are a couple of really big problems with that assertion made by faith healers. First off, God is the one who supplies the faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The Father gives faith as a gift. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus says, think of this in the context of this woman, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So Jesus there is just simply affirming that He and God the Father are working on the same page, all right? All, that's pretty inclusive there, all who the Father gives to me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will not cast out. God the Father was drawing this woman to Jesus by providing her the faith she needed to approach Jesus. Again, Jesus says in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him or her. No one. So God the Father was drawing her. How was He drawing her to Jesus? By supplying her the faith that Jesus can make her well. 
Left alone to ourselves, how many people does the Bible say will seek after God according to Romans 3, verse 11? None. Not even one. In man's natural state, unconverted state, none possesses faith in Christ. God has to supply it. And he dispenses it to us as a free gift. And the Father supplies that gift for a purpose. The faith is for a purpose of drawing us to his Son. Therefore, this woman, she doesn't erroneously take credit for this healing or for coming to Jesus. You get it? She came because God was drawing her. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 3, concerning faith, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, good judgment. What is that judgment? As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God provides the Christian with a measure of faith. He's the origin of it. It's a gift. So a faith healer, for a faith healer to suggest you aren't healed because you don't have enough faith is actually suggesting that God has shortchanged you. God didn't come through. Apparently God failed by not supplying enough faith and in those groups you always end up having the haves and the have-nots. Those who have and those who don't have. It becomes a divisive issue. Now this might leave you a little bit in a fog, but don't worry, I hope it clears up in a minute. Having established a couple weeks ago, the miraculous sign gifts ceased with the closing of the apostolic era. And though we really shouldn't have faith healers on TBN at all, even beyond that, the faith healers really get this wrong because they overlook the fact that Scripture indicates that faith isn't even necessary for healing. There are times in Scripture Jesus heals large multitudes of people, a mix of people, faith not given as a prerequisite with any of them, the lame man at the gate called beautiful, that's in Acts chapter 3. Remember who was healed? He was an example of God healing a man Well, he didn't even realize what was going on. He wanted, to, he wanted some change. You know, and Peter said, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Stand up and walk. So he wasn't approaching the apostles or Jesus or anything through faith. It was so that the apostles and them would be affirmed again as delegates of Christ. So this woman is cleansed not because she has some extraordinary level of faith, but because God wanted her to be cleansed. That's why she's cleansed. And, and, and in this case, it was so that she could testify to Christ and to all the others around who had done it. So that Christ would be glorified. Next week we'll see a 12-year-old girl who is no longer dead. Because God wants her to be made alive. She didn't have any of her own faith. God accomplishes whatever He desires to bring glory to Himself. In this particular case, with this woman, the faith that God gave her, since it effectually drew her to Christ, the faith the Father gave effectually drew her to Christ, because of that, her faith made her well. Her faith made her well. It brought her to Christ. But God gave it. 
And in verse 48, Jesus will say, your faith has made you well. In other cases, like Christ raising Lazarus from the dead, when he went over there, he just called him to come out of the tomb. Lazarus is just dead. Here, God was the active agent drawing the woman through faith. And God says, all of, or Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. This is very obvious because um, Jesus says in this passage, who touched me? Somebody touched me. I became aware power went out of me. So this is one of those occasions we talked about previously too where Jesus wasn't fully aware all the time. He remained completely dependent on the Father to supply Him and provide Him with everything He needed. Whenever He needed to know it, God would provide as He walked the earth as a model of faith. God revealed it as Jesus needed it. Or as God wanted Jesus to accomplish something. He wasn't reading everybody's mind in the crowd constantly. We don't get that impression from Jesus. But when he needed to, he could. It's hard to understand. Hard for me to understand. Suddenly Jesus just noticed power going out of him. And in verse 47, when the woman saw she had not escaped notice, she came trembling fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. Here's the witness. Here's the testimony. And how she had been immediately healed. Initially thinking, you know, I could just slip out of here after touching his cloak. Instead now she becomes the testimony to everyone else around, right? That's how it works when we're cleansed and when we're healed. She was probably petrified. Fearing that she'd be accused of spreading her uncleanness. You know, the crowd. Who are you touching? How dare you touch? Probably afraid of being accused. And you see, as she's been immediately healed by the law, she was still ceremonially unclean. You want to get technical. According to what we read earlier in Leviticus 15, seven days must pass before she is declared clean, right? This is just another way Jesus is superior to the law. You get cleansed by Christ, it's immediate. It's immediate. The leper back in chapter 5 said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' response said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And it says, immediately the leprosy left him. You can be made immediately clean through Christ. And here's what I want you to take away. God heals whom He wills. There's no set formula or prescription for healing. There are people of faith who don't get healed. Apostle Paul. And people without faith who do. Sometimes faith is a part of the equation. Other times, as with Lazarus, Lazarus, it is not. One blind man is healed by a word. Another is with clay spittle. One leper, Jesus healed with a touch, a group of, while a group of ten lepers, he healed with a word from a distance. Nine of those didn't even come back and speak to Jesus. They weren't believers. They were healed uh, physically. He healed Peter's mother-in-law by touching on her, her on the hand. He healed this woman as she touched his garment. Similar to what we studied about casting out demons, all the things you hear about how that's done and all that other stuff, Scripture provides Christians no consistent or set prescription 
for guaranteed physical healing. No prescription. We simply make our requests known to God, and then we pray, not my will, but thy will be done. We leave it in his hands. But Scripture does provide a prescription for spiritual cleansing. Ultimately, folks, we don't need to be physically healed. You know that, right? And very few are today. It's never by a fake healer who thinks much of himself. If God so desires to heal, then he can heal. But as we discussed two weeks ago, the apostles didn't leave us miracles, signs, and wonders. We walk by faith and not by sight. The apostles left us the gospel. And what this woman needed more than being made physically well was to be made ceremonially clean so she could approach God and Christ. Ritually restored to God and man. In that sense, in the spiritual sense, it is her faith that made her well and it's still today faith that makes us well. It brings us to Christ. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. You see, her physical ailment wasn't ultimately her problem. Who here is living with a physical ailment? Austin, is there pain? A lot of people here with physical pain, suffering through pain. But our problem isn't physical pain. Our problem is spiritual cleansing that we need. That's why the apostles left us the gospel. We can live with physical ailments throughout our entire lives without any problem. This woman could have continued living as she was for 12 years. Her problem was she needed spiritual cleansing. Her problem was that separation, the the isolation that she endured because of the physical problem, it was really a picture of our spiritual problem. And that spiritual problem, that isolation, through that the law became her tutor to lead her to Christ. What the law taught her about needing to be cleansed led her to Christ. For her, Christ removed the physical problem, but it's infinitely more important that she be cleansed so that when she departed, Christ can say, you can now leave in peace. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. That's Romans 4, verse 10. We're not to sweat our, our physical problems. We're not to sweat those out because with the end of the law and its requirements, physical problems no longer separate us from God. And God doesn't promise us anywhere that He'll remove them. But what we desperately need is to be cleansed of our sins so that we can be made clean here today and depart in peace if you haven't trusted Christ previously. A little song about it. Gerald will be proud. He's looking for more musical talent. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness for by his wounds we are healed. For you are continually strained like sheep Any sheep out there? But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. If you're visiting with us today, folks, 
The reason you see us laughing, worshiping, singing, hugging, celebrating, it isn't because we all stand in perfect health. It's because we've been reconciled to God through Christ. And it's due to the fact that through faith in Christ, God has saved us and he has made us well. How about you? Should we pray? Father, oh Lord, the picture of your healing hand and your righteousness and your cleansing that we see through the Gospels, Lord. We are so grateful as we read and and hear about people like this woman, other people like lepers, uh, the centurion who came to you all with their their needs, Lord, uh, and you supplying uh, abundantly. Lord, because you love, you love us. And Lord, uh, as the Scriptures teach and as the Gospels reveal, our problem is sin. Lord, and as we um, study Your Word and see the horrible condition that we're in and what this world is in, Lord, we realize that uh, not everyone's going to be healed, not every war is going to be stopped. But through the gospel and through the proclamation of a risen Christ, we know that healing is available to all. Lord, uh, open hearts. As we take that message forward, Lord, uh, bless people and encourage them. But most of all, open their hearts that they might receive Christ as Savior. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.